Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello, I'm Nicola, a reporter at New Model Advisor, and today on The Advice Show, I'm joined by Henry Cobb, who is head of research at Elston Consulting, which provides a range of services to financial advisors, including funds and index solutions, portfolio analytics, and investment committee support. Now, every advisor listening will know that seeking returns from equities was a tricky game in 2022, and Henry's here today to talk a bit about what can be learned from that and how to build equity portfolios to beat inflation. So, Henry, welcome, and thanks very much for being here. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Nicola. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant to have you. First first podcast episode of 2022. Um, so, Henry... 23. Gosh, 23. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Um, so, we're going to jump straight into today's uh, topic, which is about diversifying equity exposure in portfolios. Um, when advisors are trying to diversify their equity exposure from what you've seen, what approaches do they tend to take and what do you think of those approaches? Well, well typically, um, the most traditional approach for equity diversification is a regional approach. So if you look at traditional sort of multi-asset models or multi-asset portfolios, um, there's usually a diversification across regions. So by regions, we mean US, Europe, UK, Asia, Japan, emerging markets. Those are the kind of main building block regions. Obviously, you can get more granular than that. But um, that is the kind of main approach. If you imagine the kind of world equities is breaking up into the different regions and then really taking a view on the outlook for one region over another. Um, and what that means is that advisors, when they're running portfolios, have to take a decision around you know, how much bias we're going to have to the UK and how much of them biased internationally. And that's something that there's no right answer to. But we see uh, advisors running portfolios and managers running portfolios, wealth managers running portfolios, with anything between zero bias, which is about a 4 or 5% allocation to the UK, anything up to almost a 40% allocation to the UK. So there's a huge amount of range um, of how you do regional equity allocation. Do you stick to world equity index weights uh, as a starting point, or do you build your own framework? And then once you've got your neutral thing, how do you then overweight or underweight specific regions based on their economic prospects? So that's how we see um, the traditional approach to world equity diversification is focus on the regions. Okay. And I mean, what other approaches are out there and um, what do you think of those? So we've got regions and segments based by market cap, and then you've got these style breakdowns as well but you're still very much operating with those approaches within this regional framework but you're just putting a bit more nuance onto it by considering market capitalization large cap mid cap small cap or considering style um what's interesting if you look at the kind of institutional approach to investing there's probably two other uh, approaches that don't look at regions so much and look at the world in a very different perspective um the most long-standing one which should be very familiar um, to advisors, at least from you know, reading press and commentary, is sectors. So um, that, that way is where people investing by a sector saying, right, 
and you can hear when you, when people talk when you read the news saying technology stocks are having a tough time or healthcare is having a great time or utilities are in inflation proof or um you know telecoms is having a difficult time whatever it might be that that sector approach is is one way and the final approach which is probably the most recent or the newest on the block is um the factor based approach um and so so broadly speaking those i'd say that are the four ways we see that kind of world equity exposure being broken down region by capitalization so mid cap large cap small cap region by style growth versus income uh, sector based and finally factor based Okay, th thanks for kind of laying that out, Henry. Um, and I also have done some work on the benefits of sector and factor-based uh, equities investing. Uh, uh, I guess why, in your view, is now a good time to consider these approaches? Yeah, well, I think it's quite interesting that when you look at a lot of, particularly even the, the kind of even the larger wealth managers, um, they'll talk sectors but invest by regions. And, it, and it's a bit, a bit confusing when you read some market commentary from some of the houses, um, investment houses, they'll talk about particular sectors, this sector's doing well, and, and that may make sense for their stock picking framework. But a, a lot of uh, managers will still refer to sectors in terms of the commentary, but still be investing by region. And we feel that it's a bit of a disconnect. Um, so I think what's been interesting and what 2022 really taught us is um, this thing called dispersion. So dispersion is the the range of returns between different equity market segments. So if you look at the kind of the um, uh, world equity market last year, um, if you were in the energy sector, you got the 46% return in dollars. If you were in the um, communication services sector, you got a minus 30% return in dollars. So that's, that's almost a 70 percentage point swing um, by looking at those different world equity sectors. Um, and so firms or managers and advisors that were overweight energy sector um, did very, very well because they were, had that inflation resilience, that inflation hedging, whereas um, managers that were, were too concentrated in, in tech, which is now part of the kind of, uh, a lot of it's part of the communication services, the FANG stocks, um, they were penalized. So, so the sector approach, one, we see it in market commentary all the time about which sectors, and there's a whole lot of research around what sectors do well at different times of the cycle when the economy is expanding, the economy is contracting, when inflation is rising, when inflation is falling. You know, sectors are, are a way, and, and if you look at the sector rotation strategies, there's a whole science around how to invest uh, across different sectors at different parts of the economic cycle. So, so what we think is, is kind of quite interesting is to have that sector lens um, gives additional nuance and control around the portfolio. So now I'm... I'm not suggesting sector investing is anything new or different because actually every investor is a sector investor. Every advisor building portfolio is a sector investor and every manager building portfolio is a sector investor because when you invest in a, even if it's called a UK equity fund, that will have a certain sector allocation. Likewise, when you invest in a US equity fund, that will have a sector allocation. So, you know, at the end of 2021, um, you know, the S&P 500 was heavily overweight the tech sector. It had a large concentration in the tech sector. Just as in the 1980s, the S&P 500 had a large concentration in the oil and gas sector. So these kind of, it's almost like by investing in a region, you're unknowingly taking a sector position. Um, and it, we think it's important to know what that sector position is, and then make sure that aligns with your kind of economic outlook. Um, and then if not, adjust it accordingly. So if we can replay the 2021-2022, there was this kind of tech sector concentration in the S&P 500. 
people were then worried about inflation, about you know, what happened to long duration equities, what happened to, to high valuation equities. And that's why both the tech said, and therefore the S&P 500 had a dreadful year last year. But had you been a um, using equal weight approach to S&P 500, or had you been using um, a sector-based strategy using S&P 500 broken down into sectors, you could have actually taken a, 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 a kind of more nuanced view of where you want to be positioned within the equity market. So I think the sectors have always been there and everyone is a sector investor, but it's about whether they're looking at those sector risks and um, whether they've got the position the exposure they want to have given their outlook for the markets. Definitely. That, that's really interesting. And and I mean, do you see, you know, if your advice were to um, look more at sectors when they were devising their asset al- or their equities allocation, do you see that strategy being more of a kind of temporary solution that advisors can harness through, you know, difficult economic periods, for example? Or do you see this as being a longer term approach that could really benefit advisors? Well, I think it's a very interesting point. And I think, you know, the answer is sort of yes and yes to both. So no doubt we're living in a more volatile times. Um, markets are harder to navigate. They're not moving up in straight lines. There is much more, as we mentioned earlier, dispersion. Uh, between equities, um, between equity segments, equity sectors. And that means there's actually dispersion is obviously a challenge, but also creates an opportunity as a potential for alpha. In the same way as when stocks dispersion is high, you can add value through stock picking. When sector dispersion is high, you can add value through sector selection. So I think it is something that is critical in times like these, when we're in these difficult, challenging and pivot to market pivoting moments, like we're at the moment where New interest rates have gone in reverse, bond yields have gone in reverse, inflation has gone in reverse. It's been a huge um, kind of change of trend, so very febrile. So I think it does make sense in the short term. But I think it's 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 also there as a long-term position. I think what that sector-based investing gives you is that additional flexibility. Um, so, And that's why when you look at kind of the research around sector investing, it literally goes back for years and years and years and years about how different sectors have fared in different economic environments. And... and I think that's one can draw on that research, draw on that evidence, and then try and put it to use as best one can to um, almost like you know, whether you um, probably it's, it's too much to completely throw out the old way of doing things and throw out regions entirely and purely invest in sectors. But having some kind of sector overlay uh, or sector dimension to um, an investing policy, we think makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So maybe, so you're saying maybe it's a, a strategy that could, um, you know, additionally benefit portfolios um, that have, you know, over the past year, they might have tapped into, um, you know, um, or like increased exposure to certain asset classes, you know, like we know that alternatives and some even like commodity trading strategies had a, had a big year because people saw them as kind of an inflation hedge. So Yeah. And that's the complex way of doing it. <laughs> the, yeah, the, the yeah. simple way of doing it is saying, well, let's buy some energy, let's buy some healthcare, let's buy some utilities, let's buy defensive sectors that are going to kind of see it through um, resilient times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely less complex. <laughs> so, I mean, can we talk a bit more about, um, I guess, what this looks like in practice? So how exactly should advisors, um, you know, think about allocating to, to different sectors? And I guess what vehicles are there out there currently that can facilitate that? Like, do you think there are enough, um, you know, investment products out there to, to help them? Well, I, th- I think the um, the most the, the first thing is to understand what is your sector positioning, and that's something we help advisors with through our portfolio analytics to understand what is that aggregate sector positioning, and making sure not not necessarily managed to that, but to understand 
you're where you're exposed, where you're not exposed. Um, so, so that's step one. Step two then is about thinking, well, where do you want to be? Um, and you can either alter your sector position by picking a certain fund. So be actively managed or index track will have different, their own sector exposures underlying. So you're not, you're not actively using sector specific funds. You're just using, for example, you know, you might have a, a value manager that has, or, or let's say actually last year was quite interesting. Let's say you had a, a global equity portfolio, but you wanted, um, higher exposure to materials and energy and financials, or one easy way to do that was just to add UK equity exposure because UK equity is, has a high concentration in materials, financial and, um, uh, um, energy, um, unlike the S and P 500, which is all more, more, much more concentrated in tech. So, so weirdly, you can actually sort of almost use regions to gain sector exposure. Let's call that the indirect approach. The direct approach would um, be used sector-specific funds, and they're increasingly more and more available, both in the ETF format and in the OIC fund format. So, uh, and that's a neat way to deliver kind of, let's call it portfolio completion. So let's say you want to get specific access to healthcare, then you can buy a healthcare index fund or a healthcare active fund or a healthcare ETF. Um, likewise, you want to get specific access to um, energy. Um, you can do that either through, uh, you know, um, energy ETCs, but they have their own idiosyncrasies, or energy um, stocks. And that could be through an ETF or again, all through an energy fund. So, and, and again, they might be active, they might be index tracking. That's all part of the kind of fund selection process that, you know, advisors will go through. But I think the, the so that's, let's call that the, 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 the targeted approach. Um, and I think where we haven't seen whether I think the scope for innovation is more around actual sort of sector, sector managed funds. And I think that's an interesting area to watch. Because I suppose, you know, an advisor listening might um, have a concern about, you know, becoming too kind of targeted in, you know, if they were suddenly to kind of increase exposure to, you know, a couple of um, healthcare specific funds, for example. Um, so... Yeah, do you think that's a kind of valid uh, concern to have if 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 you were to go about sector investing in that way? I I think the way we see it working in practice is is like having a kind of the core standard regional approach, which is kind of fits in with most of the allocation models that advisors use, which typically come from third party providers. Um, so that, but then maybe building in like a sleeve, which is that kind of uh, sector overlay, um, where you may select specific sectors. Um, or um, and 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 implement it in that kind of in that sleeve as alongside the kind of regional sector. But in a way, you've got to have a, a view of what sectors you want to be in and why. And then the second thing is how to implement that. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. So it's not it's not to say you know we should kind of toss out the approach of of, of investing regionally because you know I suppose pe people have talked about how the world's becoming you know more deglobalized as well and. That, that you know there are surely there are opportunities there yeah i see it definitely as another lens as opposed to an either or we don't see this as a binary competition yeah. between one approach or the other yeah but at the moment i'd argue it's too Sorry, much too much down the regional approach and not enough the others and so this is about trying to bring in some balance fantastic yeah okay and i mean henry looking ahead um i wanted to ask in terms of inflation um do you think that going forward if it comes down, um, we will still be in a kind of higher inflationary environment. And is that something that advisors are going to have to consider when they're when they're looking at equities exposure? I wonder if if inflation has a role to play in in this as well. In your opinion? I think absolutely. So so first of all, you know, inflation we're hopefully and thankfully 
past the peak of this inflation shock, but that but we're not past the problem. So um, inflation is proving to be stickier. It's more broad-based. It's gone from being a short, sharp supply shock to being an energy crisis and now being this kind of spreading through you know, wage price demand, spreading through uh, producer price inflation, spreading through uh, kind of wholesale en energy costs and therefore input costs. So it's kind of it's not gone away. It's not it's not a slain beast, um, and so we see it um, obviously moderating because of the base effect. Um, but the, we look at the kind of break-even rates as a kind of forward-looking market implied expectation, um, and they close the around three point six percent per annum for the next five years, which is you know uh, still lower than it was um, at the at the worst, the peak of the crisis, and in the in around March. But um, is nonetheless significantly higher, almost double that of the Bank of England target inflation rate. So we certainly see inflation as being stickier, more broad-based, um, and therefore it's something still to consider within um, equity portfolios. So if we think about the kind of 1970s again, you know, peak inflation was there in 1972, 1973, but the inflationary era spun a decade. So we don't think this is something that you can we can just kind of say, oh, that was yesterday's news cycle. We can turn it off now. We see that, that, yes, we've had the shock, thankfully past the peak, but it's still something to work through the system. And if we look at kind of rolling five-year numbers, um, they're about now rolling 3.9%, 4%. They wouldn't actually peak till beginning of 2026 mm. um, because it carries on washing through the system. And that that's a bit of a problem. So how does one position that for inflation? Um, well, we think there's two different ways of doing that. One is through the sector lens, one is through the factor lens. So through the sector lens, it's about what we call owning the problem. So, you know, if energy um, price inflation is a, is part of the problem, owning energy securities is part of the solution. Um, likewise, utilities um, are very nutritionally you know, boring stocks because they have a regulated tariffs that are typically linked to inflation. So, again, if or you can kind of gas bills, train track bills, road toll bills around the world are going up in line with inflation, well, owning those utilities is again owning part of the problem. So that's another kind of inflation resilient asset uh, sector. Um, so there's uh, likewise healthcare, they've got pricing power. Um, we all need medicines, particularly post COVID. So again, they're seen as having a, you know, a strong, resilient pricing power to be able to pass through inflation. So they're also seen as relatively defensive. Um, so that's the kind of sector lens on inflation, as we, we call it owning the problem. Um, from a factor perspective, there's been lots of very interesting studies about which factors fare well in different market regimes and um, in a low interest rate environment like we had post financial crisis from 2008 onwards um, you know the growth factor momentum do very very well um, because you know you've got low interest rates you, you know future values are are, um, are, are are worth more in today's terms because of a lower discount rate um, and so growth tends to do very well whereas in inflationary times um, value factor tends to do much better and if look, there's a study done going back to 1929 to 2020 looking at how basically value factor has outperformed growth um you know during inflationary times in the us and equally there's other kind of studies that look at how that kind of value factors fared um in inflationary regimes and actually sure enough if you look at um 2022 um for uh, investors kind of taking a kind of factor perspective um you know value factor world equities was up one percent in sterling terms Whereas world equity market cap weighted or region, regional world equity was down 8.33% because world equity is heavily skewed to US, US is heavily skewed to tech, so world equity is therefore heavily, well, mildly skewed to tech. 
So, so that fact perspective, again, looking at a dispersion story about the difference between returns between one factor and another, you had a huge, um, not as big as sectors, but still a very wide range of dispersion within world equity factors last year, where you had world equity regions being down 8%, um, but value being up plus one, and min vol was actually the best performing factor. So that's low volatility equities, which is another uh, factor perspective, which is up 1.23%. So, so yeah, coming back to inflation, two ways of playing it. Sectors about owning the problem, owning those inflation resilient sectors, uh, and through factors, um, what research suggests is typically value uh, tends to outperform uh, in, in a high inflation regime because it's all a kind of what we call short duration equities. It's jammed a day companies that are kind of got strong, steady, stable earnings, stable dividends, um, and therefore have more pricing power and and also not frothly valued um, and have more today's value based on today's earnings than some some pie in the sky in the future okay okay so so can i ask in 2023 are those the kind of um factors the sectors you anticipate talking to advisors more about so i guess min, min volatility value and on the sector side of things those more inflation resilient um you know sectors like healthcare yeah so i think i think that's certainly fair enough i think the kind of because because we don't feel that inflation story is is kind of just disappeared um, I think you know those sectors still look interesting. Energy still looks interesting. Healthcare still looks interesting. Um, consumer staples looks interesting, um, and materials. Um, what we don't like is things like real estate or property because we think you know with recession risk that 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 becomes a challenge. Technology, although you know it was it was had a lot of punishment last year, you know valuations are now deweighting. And actually, if you think about it, tech stocks now do have a lot of pricing power. We're all probably like you subscribing to Microsoft Office to run our business. So if they decide to increase their um, prices by 5% or 10%, there's not much we can do about it. Can't suddenly sort of go and switch to a different provider and turn it off. So um, I think you know, technology actually has more inflation resilience um, than than has in the past. But we just, it was a, last year was about evaluation derating as opposed to a, a kind of a, a lack of inflation proofing. So those are sectors particularly interesting. And with the fact of sector, um, yeah, value still value is interesting because of, of the inflation story. And also it's kind of um, valuations aren't stretched, but also um, yield. So income, which is all you also see as a factor, um, helps underpin returns. So if we can go into this more recessionary environment um, by able to kind of lock in some returns with some equity income yield um, is interesting. And so, yeah, value and yield would be the two factors that we'd focused on for that's really interesting. Thanks, Henry. And just a final question: um, If you know, if advisors are to kind of focus more on um, sectors and factors um, when when it comes to asset allocation, do you think um, the the very nature of those kind of using those strategies will require them to um, be more active in their in their asset allocation approach, um, or, or not? Yeah, I think I think there's it's. I mean, I think active. Um, it is certainly active. It is making active calls, mm-hmm. um, and we think that is the the main source of value add. We we see um, the main area of value add being in portfolio alloc- asset allocation and portfolio construction, um, less so in security selection. Um, and we think that if the active debate moves from about picking stocks of active funds versus passive funds, we think that's a slightly kind of a specious debate. The debate should really be about asset allocation. Should it be active allocation or static allocation. And we think absolutely active allocation makes a, a, a good sense, particularly in these febrile times. <laughs> Excuse me. And we think having a, an active approach doesn't mean trading portfolios every day or every week, but it means um, facing the right way and positioning yourself 
to um, try and maximise returns for a given risk budget. And Henry, on that note, um, if our listeners are interested in kind of reading more about the research that you're doing or indeed um, the work of Elston more broadly, where can they find out more? Um, well, uh, most people complain how much we post on LinkedIn because it's usually <laughs> quite extensive. But we have uh, our website, elstonsolutions.co.uk, and we have an insights page, which is our blog page. We publish a lot of our um, kind of high-level research there for anyone to read. Um, uh, it's all fairly um, high-level, um, but we also send for clients to give a lot more detail as well. But yeah, so El- Elston Solutions is our website, and um, the blog page, you see it, we publish about weekly. Uh, a research article about what's happening in the markets, et cetera, and different exposures to asset classes. And I think that's the main difference from what kind of we do compared to other kind of research firms that work with advisors is um, if you think about, you know, portfolio outcomes, 90 or 100% is driven it by asset location and a small margin is driven by fund selection. And yet, if you look at the research industry, it's mainly focused on fund research and not about asset location research. And I think where we're a bit different is we're really focused on that asset location research for our clients to help them make those um, application decisions. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, lots of food for thought are there today, Henry. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on the podcast today. And it's been, yeah, really interesting from hearing from you. Well, thank you. And I hope I hope you're newly converted to not just regions, but region sectors and factors <laughs> too. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much, Henry. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with any questions or comments about this episode, uh, you can find us either on Twitter, we're at New Model Advisor, uh, or feel free to reach out to me over email. I'm nblackburn at citywire.co.uk. Thanks very much, everyone. Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.